0: Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org.
1: I travel a bit, and and there are several ways that I get introduced. Uh, There's a few different hats that I would wear. But when they ask me, how would you like to be introduced? I like to say I am, because the main thing about me is I'm a, I'm a husband to Rachel and I'm a father to Ella, Simon and Josie. That's the main thing about me. And in Psalm 68, uh, God introduces himself as the father of the fatherless. In other words, he's saying this is the main thing I want people to know about me. I'm a father. I'm looking for a family, every tribe, every tongue. I'm going to get it through my son and, and I, I want to adopt people into my family. I, 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 my heart is near the fatherless, and, and we want our heart to be near the fatherless here at Jubilee Church. We want to uh, increasingly give ourselves um, to adoption and foster care ministry, and there's there's lots of ways that you can get involved that i already mentioned. There's information in, in our back table if, um, where you can get that information to learn how you can get more and more involved. And I want to share a, a, an interview with you that Rachel... My wife and I did last week with a, a dear friends of ours, new friends of ours. I've known the, the husband for a while. His name is also Brian. They're, they're, he leads a church down in Houston, a catalytic church. Um, and uh, so he does the same thing. He's my age. Uh, his, his wife is also named Rachel, Brian and Rachel. Uh, we're doing a podcast soon. And so uh, the b and podcast. Um <laughs> You could submit topics, we'll discuss them. But they're, they're a great couple. And they, have a, they both, both of their lives have been directly impacted by adoption and foster care. Rachel, in particular, has a, a phenomenal story. And we are able to show just a little bit of that story. It's about 25 minutes. I hope you enjoy it. Let's take a look at the screen. <laughs> Well, hey, thanks guys for taking the time to to sit down with us. Uh, We loved meeting you, uh, I guess it was about a month ago at the pizza place, and um, it's been a long time coming. Brian and I have have known each other for I think 11 years now, but uh, yeah, we have a lot of mutual friends have been trying to get us together, same life stage, same age, doing the same thing, and in fact have the same names, Brian and Rachel. you guys are down in Houston leading an influential church, uh, a compelling church, reaching hundreds of, of young people. And I think one of the things that really struck Rachel and I is just how, I mean, you have this great mix of being uh, confident and, and courageous, yet very humble. I, I just was struck by the mix. And, and I think sometimes, you know, you know, you meet people like yourself and think, man, their life must have been perfect. Like, you know, no challenges ever, you know, walking from cloud to cloud. Um, but that's not the case. Um, I mean, you both have, have had challenges in your, in your history. And, and Rachel would just love to hear your story because uh, it involves what we're taking a look at today, which is adoption of foster care. So just tell us your story.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for asking. I met you guys a few month or a month ago and just loved you. So, um, my heart is happy to share this with your church. When I was five years old, I was taken out of my birth mother's home. She wasn't deemed worthy to uh, care for me. And we actually lived with her adoptive mother at the, at the time. So she was 19 years old um, and I was put into foster care and i went from house to house from 5 to the age of 12 and so i was in several homes um at one point in my life and, and that between 5 and 12 she actually was the the court gave me back to her and then i was removed from her house again it wasn't i didn't stay very long so um yeah i was in started around age 5 you know memories you you forget specific s- specifics and and exact ages, but it was around five to 12 that I was in the system. And so
0: what was that like for you bouncing around? How many homes were you in,
2: in that span of years? Yeah, I... Probably about 25 different homes in the time I, I, w- I was put in in several homes that they're just horrific experiences, so I'd immediately be removed. Some of them were group; they were they were people's homes, but they they had 10 to 12 kids, and so they um, we were in a house with just bunk beds in a room and poorly taken care of. So we'd be re- so I'd be removed and then placed in another home, and um, I think I I added about 20, I would say maybe 20 to 25 homes within that time. Yeah.
0: And during that time, did you have any exposure to the church or to God or what was
2: your experience? I had one experience with God. I had been uh, staying with, at a home and it was back in the day when buses would come to apartment complexes and pick up kids I didn't tell anybody. I hopped on the bus. I was, I think, around six, maybe closer. It was one of the first times I stayed in. So I was young, hopped on a bus. They took me to church. And uh, I remember being in the kids' church. And nobody, I mean, maybe back then they... They saw me and wondered who were my parents or who was I with. But I remember a Sunday school teacher, Sunday school teacher, coming and and speaking to me and her compassion and she shared Jesus's love with me. I remember that day. It's it's a memory in my mind. It's vivid and hearing of Jesus, how much He loved me, that He died for me. Um, but that was the only church context I had until the age of twelve. Mm-hmm. Well, wow, So what happened around age 12? There was a turning age point. 12, mm-hmm. There was my half sister. So my birth mother continued to have children. So I have five siblings, five half siblings. Um, it was my half sister's aunt. She had a dream about having twin girls. And so she knew that her brother had lost my sister and she took her in, but she couldn't let go of the dream of twin girls. And she found out that My sister had a half-sister in the system. She found me, and she took me in. And so she was a Christian woman, a godly woman. When she took me in, her husband left her. And so Mm -hmm. she became a single mama. And through the years, she would tell me, "I, I would love to adopt you, but we had no money. And the only way she could get any type of financial help was to become a legal guardian. And then she was able to get help with food and and um, medical and, and those things. So I stayed with her until the age of 19. And yeah, she, an incre- she is an incredible woman. And I call her mama. She was a mother to me. She loved me and um, just was incredible. She was a single mom throughout all those years that she raised um, me and my sister. She sounds amazing. Yeah, she truly is. She is, yeah.
3: And she's the reason why you started getting plugged in in church? Yeah,
2: yeah. She actually was really, loved Jesus, godly woman, attended church weekly. Um, And then when she took me in, we started going to Brian's church. Brian is where his parents were, and his dad was a pastor there. And so his dad, Brian's dad, was adopted, and he immediately just had a heart for us. And so he gave her a job. He let her, um, he let us, my sister, my, my, yeah, my sister and I attend the school for free. So we were in public, I mean, we were in a private Christian school from, from, I was from ninth to 12th grade, which God knew I needed that because I was crazy. So, um, (laughs) but he, he just had such a heart for us and cared for us and opened their home to us. It was, it was life changing. So at the age of 12, 13 is when God really met me. Um, I was at a youth camp, which I couldn't afford to go to, and and the church covered, and I was at this camp. And I had that one experience as a five-year-old of feeling like I knew that Jesus was real and that He loved me. Um, But at this camp is where... We were about with th- maybe 300 students, and we're, and there's worship going on. And um, someone comes up and gives a, a word and says, there's someone here, and gives really specific details of things that I had walked through and said, Jesus wants to heal you, save you, and set you free. And I was shaking. I was shaking. And um, I knew that was me. I I ran to the front. And uh, it was actually Brian's mom. And she prayed for me. I dropped to the floor, uh, probably for a good hour, cried, wept, prayed, ministered to me. And I believe that truly is the day when Jesus opened my eyes to this. I'm your savior. I'm your savior. I not only forgive you of your sins, but I heal you, heal your wounds and um, bring freedom. And it was it was powerful.
0: That's incredible. So it sounds like just beyond your um, foster mom um, bringing you in, making room for you, seeking you out, that there were other people in the church who had a big impact on your walk
1: um, and your
0: restoration and your salvation. And so – are there any, Brian's mom you mentioned, are there any other people you felt like made an impact in those early days or just along the journey?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was actually writing my story during COVID. I just started writing it out, and um, I was overcome with the beauty of community. You know, we hear so much of, of what the, where the church goes wrong and what the church doesn't do right and the leaders that hurt people and the— and. And rightfully so, being brought out and dealt with. But I experienced Jesus in the most prof- profound, beautiful way through community, in community. And um, I was a 14-year-old girl, and I had I, I had never known a man to not harm me in all my years until I was 13. For I, I had never known that a man could hug me, love me, speak to me, and have no evil intent um, and I experienced—honestly, I. I, honestly, I can't even keep track of how many men at church w- were fathers to me. I had at least eight to ten men that would love me and come and speak to me and hug me tight and buy things. You know, they, they knew that there was a need in our family, and they would take care of us. And it was amazing. I was actually—we were, we were part of an older— Uh, generational church and I was the a 14 year old usher on the team with about Mm -hmm. 10 to 12 60 year old guys (laughs) and it was the best thing I was so confident walking those aisles getting people sad and I had my you know my dad's in the back like good job girls like yeah thank you I'm doing good (laughs) um so and then women I mean Terry my my mom, Linda, um, other women that came along and cared for me, loved me, and and my and peers, godly peers, Brian, and other um, guys and girls that I thought this is different. This is this is beautiful. This is life changing. This is healing. And so um, I know, and I'm convinced that healing and walking through our journey. Walking through my journey, freedom and health has come through community and peers that love Jesus passionately. So, God has expressed His heart to me through these people, and it was and still is to this day. Being a part of a local church is just life changing for me. I love it. I mean, it's
0: obvious that God had His hand on you from the beginning, He's preserved your life. I mean, I think are there ways that you look back and you just see the hand of God preserving you and protecting you uh, and guiding uh, you?
2: Absolutely. I mean, even in the moments when there was horrific abuse, and there was, um, I I think that I know that. I mean, there were moments when I was 8 or 9 walking the streets at 1 a.m. trying to get from one house to the next and had Cars, you know, following me and circling around. Try And I, I just knowing, I, I just have specific moments going, I know God spared my life from <clears throat> this or from that. And um, even in all of that, I could sense. Now I look back and go, well, that was God. That was God helping me. Or that was God. You know, I had a home one time. If you didn't do what they they told you to do, if you didn't eat what they set before you, um and it was like grits that were not even cooked all the way and if you didn't eat them they'd put you out overnight with the dogs. And I remember one night being out with their these like her, disgusting horrific guard dogs and being protected. They didn't harm me. They didn't. I was like I just a few handful of moments where I go wow, I really saw God. Now I can see God protected me. God kept me. So and what are what are some of the things that you feel like in
0: your character over time that God was developing in you that you see how He's
2: turned it for good? I really see how God has softened me through my journey and my pain, and He's given me real empathy and a heart to um, a heart for those that are that are being treated unjustly right but not just i will crush you but hey i'm gonna i'm gonna do all i can to to stop you and to come with an empathetic heart and to help you help these people and so um there is strength in me that that i know god has worked in me through what i've been through but uh But not a harsh, I will survive, but man, God, you are faithful and you are good. And he's, he's softened my heart. He's given me real empathy, real compassion for others, um, uh from a young girl i remember hearing second uh, corinthians what is the or is it first corinthians when it says The god of all comfort comforts us and i remember when i when someone read that second part that you will comfort others i thought oh, that is going to be me god is going to use me to comfort other people and when i was 14 years old i had a prophetic word someone at church said i this scripture i think is going to be a testimony of your life and it was in isaiah 54 somewhere somewhere in Isaiah, um, and it talks about a well-watered garden. And I just, as a young girl, going, God, you are going to take care of me and and um, fill me that I can help others and nourish others and comfort others. And so I've, I've seen that through the years of ministry, even before we were in full-time ministry, how God would use me in school to help girls that were hurting or broken or um, suffering through some of the things that I had walked through as a child.
1: This is a question maybe I'd love to hear you both uh, speak into, and you kind of have already, and, and you just did, which is, you know, the gospel is that, um, it, it, you know, it, it brings people in, it brings people specifically into families. And maybe speak like the role that the church has to uh, whether they specifically adopt or do foster care but having a culture that brings people in and makes them family maybe specifically the effect that mothers and fathers in the church can have and maybe even the role of 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 um maybe i'll answer that and i'll go to the next question okay
2: you want to go first
3: yeah i mean i sit here having come from a fantastic family yeah um parents that were just phenomenal to me and loved jesus and but yet, my life's story is marked by people stepping up and adopting, um, super important people in my life. My dad was adopted. His, his dad left him before he was uh, born. His mom died of cancer at five, four kids, wards of the state, and a Christian pastor took him in. The pastor already had five of his own kids. They took in four and my dad met Jesus, and his life was forever changed. And um, I grew up in a healthy home. Mm-hmm. My dad met Jesus. Jesus healed him radically, and I grew up in a healthy home because Jesus changes people's lives. And then, and then to meet my wife and knowing that her story uh, is made possible because a, a very, very poor a lady— that was so determined to take her in that it angered her current husband that left her for it. Um, and then surviving taking care of two girls in a, you know, just tiny little house, um, right and, and being faithful and committed to them. Like she didn't, uh, she, she'd never stopped sacrificing. She liked, she laid down her life, uh, for Rachel and, and Rachel's sister. And to see that Christians are doing this, changing people's lives, I don't know if there's a better demonstration of the gospel we profess—that we lay our lives down one for another. Uh, We we talk about loving people all the time, but love in action is what changes people's lives. And when people adopt, I mean, it changes. It changes the course and trajectory. Changes generations. It changes families.
1: I got to ask this question. How, just, how has this impacted like how you guys uh, parent, how you do kids and youth ministry? Like When you think about the next generation, how is your stories? I mean, Brian, uh, your dad's story and, and that lineage, and Rachel, your story, how has that impacted how you think about parenting kids and youth?
2: I feel pretty passionate about it. Since we started One Life 15 years ago, we had a three-year-old, two-year-old. My heart burned with what are what are we providing for our kids? What what atmosphere are we creating for them to know Jesus? Um, and thinking of the years as they grow, at now they're teens. But every stage that we had at One Life, when we just had littles, and then we grew in, into having more families with teenagers. It was so important for us both that they really mattered. You are part of this church, um, and helping shape them and and create this environment where they felt seen, that they felt loved, that they knew their young little lives mattered. Um, so I, we feel very passionate about that. Uh, I might it might be good to interview our kids and ask them how they felt, you know, <laughs> as they were growing up. And um, but. I love my kids deeply, and I just feel so grateful to give them, through the help of God, love and a place that I wasn't given. And I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for that. I'm incredibly thankful for what God took me out of and how He opened my eyes to see Him and to see that there is beauty in family and that I get to give this to my kids. It's a, one of the greatest gifts of my life. There were some real dark moments when I would just weep in bed and and um, cry out to God saying, I don't know if I can do this because I don't know. I haven't seen it well, except from for from my, my single mama that took me in. I, I hadn't experienced from coming out of my mother's womb, being loved and accepted and wanted. And so I just had this fear. Am I going to want my child? Am I going to, um, am I going to harm my child? Am I going to want to abuse my child? Am I going to all these, these fears and lies of the enemy? I know the enemy definitely jumped on that bandwagon and I would just be gripped with fear. And one night I was, was weeping in bed and Brian he was sleeping he woke up he turned around he started praying for me and he didn't even know what I was thinking I hadn't processed it with him yet and he just started praying for me and we prayed he hugged me and in that prayer I felt God speak to me John 14 or 15. It's really good. It's either one of those. But it says <laughs> how we have a spirit to lead us and to teach us. And, and I, I felt that deeply. God say, I will teach you and I will help you. Do not be afraid. I'm going to teach you and I'm going to help you. And I will give you all that you need to mother these children. And there was this thing that lifted, lifted over me, this darkness, this like heaviness that I felt going, all right, God's got me. I don't got it, but God's got me, and He's gonna help me, and He's gonna give me what I need. So good.
1: It's awesome. Uh, just either, for the both of you, just any kind of final thoughts about um, that you want to share that maybe we didn't hit or yeah.
2: No, I don't. I don't know if everyone's and you can erase this if you want. But I don't know if everyone's called to necessarily take in a child into their home. But I think we're all called to take care of the orphans. And so if that's opening your home, if that's financially providing for families that have taken kids into their home, um, I think it's a church. uh, I think it's a, a biblical mandate, a biblical issue. I think it's a church issue a community issue, and so um, I think asking God to help us and and see the beauty and the gift of taking care of the orphan.
3: Uh, I'm just so thankful um, that uh, I had a dad that even though he grew up in a foster system and was adopted, had people that came alongside of him, that he can experience Jesus and experience freedom. And I'm so thankful that someone... A couple took my dad in because that changed my life. I'm so glad that um, Linda Carruthers yeah. took in Rachel
2: yeah.
3: um, and, yes. and saved her life. Yeah.
2: So. And how the beauty of community played their role. And, you know, we didn't always have groceries, and we'd have groceries at our front door or camps paid for or people taking us shopping in the church. Like just the most beautiful Picture and display of Christ-centered, Christ-honoring, glorifying community. It is life-changing, impactful, and I'm incredibly grateful for it. Um, one more thing, I think for people that have come from uh, my type of journey, it's really important to know that Jesus sets us free from shame. And I remember sitting with Brian's mom before I was dating Brian before I was dating anybody and, and weeping and just saying, why would anyone want to marry me? Like I have nothing to offer them. And <laughs> I remember that deep pain going, what do I have to bring to the table? I really don't have anything except the yucky things that were done to me. And, 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 um, I don't have a father to walk me down the aisle, I don't, like all the things I don't, and it was just this, this pain of shame and lack, and how she was just this godly woman that looked into my eyes and spoke truth to me, just saying actually anyone would be honored and loved me and prayed for me, and just spoke God's heart to me that brought, again, another layer of freedom and joy. So community is really powerful and beautiful. And there's no more shame with Jesus. He takes our shame, he took it to the cross and he's faithful to walk with us in our journey to help us saying, yep, let that go. Like that's being being brought up. Yeah, let's give that to me. I don't want you walking with that any longer.
1: Mm Amen. Let's do this. Let's let's be a church. Let's be a community. Let's be a people that is known for having a heart for the fatherless, that that give themselves to uh, foster care and adoption, that come alongside, that provide financial support, small ways and big ways that, that provide practical help. And there's, there's a lot of ways that you can do that. You can, if you go out into our lobby, there's some more information how you can practically get involved. And my hope is that we would all be involved in some way. Some of you are considering a very big step. And here in a minute, I want to pray for us all that we would uh, hear from God. We would hear from the Spirit on how He would direct us. But I'm um, just reminded of if in, a, in the Exodus 22... This is what God says. God says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And we, we know that we serve a God that when he answers a prayer, when he answers a cry, he, he, he uses other people. So, for example, like um, with the Israelites, when they're in captivity in Egypt, you remember that in, in Exodus 3, God says to Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. And what God doesn't do, he doesn't show up and say, hey, here I am. You know, let's get out of here. He taps Moses on the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to go be me. I want you to go show my people how much I love them. I want you to go show Pharaoh how strong that I am. And that's what God wants to do in this world. There's a lot of pain, there's a lot of suffering, and this is one area that we want to uh, be be strong in, and, and we want to say, God will be will be part of that answer. We, we, uh, there, there, there's a prayer going up for the fatherless, for the uh, for the orphan, the widow, and we want to be a part of that answer. And, and today, uh, uh, there, there may be a step that you would take practically in order to do that. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes and just consider what the Spirit may, may say to you. God, we are so grateful um, for women like Linda Carruthers who took in Rachel, who was lost alone and displaced without a family. God, you are the Father who puts us in families. And you heard her cry. And you sent Linda. Hey, I want you to go and get involved. But it wasn't just Linda. There was a whole community behind her. Providing food and respite and, and care and time and love and words and and a place. God, we thank you for this pastor who took in Brian's father. who was a ward of the state. He didn't have margin. He didn't give his margin. He gave what he didn't have. And, and God, we, we know as you call us that you are so good to provide. You provided for for Moses. He wasn't up for the task in and of himself, but you provided the power. You'll provide us with the power. You'll provide us with the resources as we take our steps of faith. We thank you for these stories. God, we thank you for our story. Lest we forget that we were lost and alone and hurting and helpless and you came and found us and and rescued us and included us in and grafted us in and adopted us into your family. God, may we consider in these moments how you have treated us. And may we take that love practically, as Brian said, love in action. God, may we not just feel love today. May we take steps to do love for your glory and for the benefit of others. Amen.